Today on the We Invested podcast, we have Don Bloomer, and she is the founder of Productive Pressure. Don, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Wesley. I'm really excited to be here with you today. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining. But before we get started, would you mind just letting the people know where they can find you on the internet, whether it's your website or social media? Oh, absolutely. Thanks. So the easiest place to find out more about what I do and who I am is ProductivePressure.com, all one word. I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn. So either place, Don Bloomer on LinkedIn. Awesome. So let's absolutely. So let's just start from the top and talk a little bit about, you know, where you're from and where you grew up. Sure. So I am, I, I now live in Manhattan Beach, California, as we talked about a little bit as we were getting ready for this, but I'm originally from Canada. I was born sort of near Toronto in a little town called Grimsby. And uh, I lived in a bunch of different places, my dad was um, in the financial services industry and every time he sort of took a promotion, we'd move. And so we lived in uh, Canada for in Ontario near Toronto for the first about six years of my life. And then when we I was six, we moved to England and we lived there for three years. And I bring that up because um, that was where I first started riding horses. And that's when I decided that I wanted to be a horse doctor. I fell in love with horses. And so that was from then on, my sole goal was to become a veterinarian for horses. So fast forward, um, we also lived in New York for about five years when I was a teenager. So I've moved around a fair bit. So when I finished vet school, I decided that I wanted to move to California because I was going to be a veterinarian for racehorses I had decided and the weather so much better so much so much friendlier in California so I actually spent a year in Chicago which um was wonderful but very cold before I came to California and that pretty much sealed the deal for me I was like let's go west <laughs> absolutely no that's so cool um you know I went I think I went to like my first horse race in San Diego it was just like a yeah, Del Mar. Del Mar. Del Mar. That's exactly yeah. what it was. Beautiful. Beautiful. It was, it was incredible. And it was an awesome experience. And, and just like the energy from the, the attendees and, and just like everything was such a cool experience. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful setting. It's right on the ocean. I mean, it's really kind of spectacular. There's no question of why it was so attractive to all the stars back in the day. You know, that was where all the stars would go and gather was at Del Mar. And yeah, so it's got a lot of history behind it. And what a great place to get introduced to horse racing. It doesn't get much better than that. Absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, you mentioned that you've lived in several different places, Canada, New York, England, California, what did you take away from those different experiences? Like how did, you know, moving around at a young age impact your outlook on life and success? Oh, that's a great question. I think that, I think that I was so used to moving around that I didn't see a lot of downside to it until we made the move from New York when I was a teenager. And then I was sort of like, man, I had plans to go to Cornell and, you know, like I was 16 when we left New York. And so that, that move was a little harder for me. We'd lived there five years, longest I lived everywhere, anywhere, sorry, for, you know, any length of time. And that said, the best thing that ever happened to me was living different places, you know, all over the world. Because what it did is it opened up my eyes to the fact that there's so much more out there than what's in our little area. 
And there are so many opportunities. There are so many ways that people do things differently. Mm -hmm. And so I think it also eliminated my fear of moving somewhere where I didn't know anybody. Right. I've done it so many times. So when I decided to move to California, you know, a lot of people were like, really, you're going to move all the way to California. You don't know anyone. You don't have a job. Like I had nothing. I had my truck and my stuff. And I was telling you earlier that I lived in, actually at that time I'd moved into Santa Monica. I'd lived there for about two weeks when my truck was stolen with a bunch of my clothes in it. Oh, and no. yeah. And I, it, I never got it back. So, but I think that the the pluses far outweighed the minuses. I think the downside to moving around a lot when you're a kid, especially back in those days, it would be different now because there's social media and we have much easier ways of staying in touch. But at that point, I'm I'm not someone who grew up and had friends from grade school that I've stayed in touch with my entire life. I was never much of a you know handwritten letter gal. And, and uh, so it was hard, much harder to stay in touch with people yeah, you know, that was back in the days where long distance calls were legitimately expensive. So, you know, calling your friends in England from Canada was probably not a thing. So I'd say from that side, that those were would have been the potential downsides. But I feel like I don't think that I would have had the wherewithal or the confidence to move, you know, across the continent with no plan. <laughs> you know, well, I had a plan. It just hadn't been executed. <laughs> Nobody knew what the plan was yet. I think without having had those prior experiences, I don't know that I would have had the, you know, the guts to do that. So I'm really, I feel very fortunate that I had all those opportunities. I think they've helped shape where I am and, and, you know, what I'm doing now for sure. Absolutely. I mean, and that's one of the things that I was saying too, before we started recording, um, you know, is that you're a great conversationalist. As soon as we got on the call, I mean, you were extremely easy to talk to. Um, and I feel like, you know, moving around could moving around a lot uh, could have played a role in that as well. Just being able to mesh and connect with different people instantly. Um, and, it, and it makes sense, you know, with the company that you've built and grown up until this point and, and just being able to connect with different people, different business owners and, and, and different entrepreneurs and understanding their mindsets and, and learning what they're paying pain points are yeah um, you know, that's a great point because i hadn't really thought about it but you're right because everywhere i went you know most of the people had been there for a long time and they already had their relationships established and i hadn't really thought about that until you said that but i did i i had to learn how to make new friends and make new connections and and now it's something that i really enjoy doing i mean i love meeting new people hearing their stories um, learning more about them, learning from them. And so I'm, I'm sure you're right. I hadn't even thought of that. So great insight. Thanks so much for that. Absolutely. I mean, and just speaking on, you know, moving across the country by yourself, I mean, it's, it's a certain level of like fearlessness that you have to have to do something <laughs> like that. Was that an intimidating transition for you? Like, how was that, how was that, you know, time period um, for you? I, I think if I if I was doing it now, uh, um, maybe it would be different. I think in the in the moment it was it was a little daunting, more so because I really was concerned about where I was going to make money from, and I just took in in veterinary speak what would kind of be odd jobs. I filled in for people who were on vacation. I did what in the medical field is usually. 
you know, sort of referred to as locum tenens work. So I was basically a temp, a temporary vet. And so I went and did fill-in jobs, but my biggest concern was, you know, like, how am I going to pay to put the roof over my head? I'm really a pragmatist. I wasn't quite as worried about the long-term success because I always believed that if I wanted something bad, badly enough, I would get it. And I had proven that over time. And so I didn't, I don't think I was ever, I was probably a little naive, you know, like I didn't, I didn't think about it as going out into the big bad world and, you know, leaving the country and all the things I really looked at it as it was just the next step and it was the next challenge. And I love a good challenge. So some would say that I tend to make things harder than they need to be sometimes because I love the challenge, you know? So no, go ahead. I feel like that was a great transition. Just, you know, loving the challenge because you know, having your own company, being an entrepreneur is, you know, one of the, the one of the greatest challenges, I believe, um, you know, because you have to, it's deeper than just running a business. You have to, it, I feel like it's more so of a spiritual journey where you have to kind of observe all of your shortcomings or observe, <laughs> yes. you know, you have to, you have to really look at yourself and focus on yourself and, and figure out how to improve what you're doing and, and improve yourself as, as just a person in order to run like a successful company and, and be effective at what you do. So, you know, with, with all of that being said, I want to ask what is productive pressure? Oh, that's a great question. So I, I got to the part of the story where I was a veterinarian for, and so I was a veterinarian for researchers for over 20 years. And along that journey, I bought into our practice, which at the time was a well-established group practice and had three partners when I came on as an associate. And um, about five years in, as I was having my first child, I was invited to become the fourth partner. And so I you know, when you talk about, you know, you learn more about yourself and you learn all the things you don't know, talk about being naive. So I forked up, I, you know, I borrowed the money to pay what a lot of people would pay for their first home to buy into this practice. And I was excited to do it. Like I was actually kind of honored to do it because this was like the next step, right? I knew nothing about being a business owner. I hadn't even given it a lot of thought. I just knew that if I wanted to have a have a seat at the table and have a say in how things were run and eventually, you know, honestly make more money that that was the next step. And so I did it blindly and I'm not saying that I didn't get some advice or whatever, but there was no question I was going to do it at whatever cost I was all in. And then I, I loved it. I loved it more as an owner. And then, you know, we got to the middle of the 2000, like 2008, of course, we had all the economic challenges that came along and we were okay for a while because frankly, we were, we were servicing the, the sport of Kings. So we had a lot of clients who still had a lot of disposable income. And so they were still doing the things, but I could see that things were starting to shift a little bit. We were starting to have a slightly smaller horse population. Horse racing in California, for lots of reasons, was starting to get a little quieter, a little slower. Not a lot, but there were less people breeding horses in California. And so I started to see kind of the writing on the wall. And I said, you know, everything is a business is easy to run or, or seemingly easy to run when things are flush, right? When you're flush with work and you've got more work than you know what to do with. 
it's a lot easier to look smart doing it. When, when things start to get a little tougher, that's when, to your point, you really have to look inside and say, do, am I doing the right thing? And, and am I, do I know enough to make good decisions here? Like something about this doesn't feel right, but I'm not sure what it is. What should I be doing? And I think that as professionals who have been highly trained in something, it's often hard for us to realize that I was really well-trained as a veterinarian. I received zero formal business training in, in my in my school. So like none, I, we got trained on ethics and things like that, but no business training. And so I started to realize that we were just kind of kind of, you know, trying to make what seemed like good common sense, smart decisions. And for the most part, it was okay, but it, we didn't know how to really analyze what we were doing and make better choices going forward. So at that point, uh, in the mid two thousands, I decided to get my MBA, which I did online because like any good, um, business owner, I was still working, you know, six, seven days a week. And by that time I had two small children and, um, so I'm not telling saying telling anyone they should go out and get an MBA. At the time, to me, it was the obvious thing to do because as a professional, I was like, well, you know, if you don't know something, you go take a course, right? So if you're going to take a course, you might as well go all the way. So so I went all in and, and got my MBA. And that was great because it really did give me, um, it gave me a much stronger position to come from in making decisions and making longer term plans. The question you asked me was about productive pressure. So what I will say is that as I did all of those things and made all of those decisions, I put myself under an undue amount of stress doing all of that, right? So in addition to being a full-time business owner, uh, full-time mom, and then I was a technically a full-time student um, and granted online, but that just meant that I was having to do it at night after I put the kids to bed or in the morning before I early, very early went to work or listening to things while I was driving to work, I I started to burn out. And so where production pressure came from was I realized that um, stress is good to a point. We, we all need stress or we'd just be, you know, marshmallows sitting on the couch, binge, binging Netflix and, you know, eating bonbons or something, right? At least I would be. So we need a certain amount of stress. And in working as a racehorse veterinarian for all those years, I knew that the horses, in order to get faster, better, bigger, you know, stronger, better at their jobs, needed a certain amount of pressure so their bones would adapt and their muscles would grow. And yet it couldn't be too much because if you gave them too much exercise too fast or at the wrong time, then uh, they would have problems, right? They could get injured or get hurt. And so this, this concept of productive pressure for me came from that finding the sweet spot between having enough pressure that, you know, you get out there and you get the thing done. Because let's face it, I can have all the great business strategies in the world, but if I don't execute on them, nothing's going to happen. And so is that idea of it, it, it kind of applies across the board. It doesn't really matter what you're doing. But as a business owner, you're going to have stress. You're going to have, um, you know, there are going to be times when you're under a lot of stress. But it's what do you do with that and how do you manage that and how do you prepare yourself for that so that when it happens, you're in a better place. So that was probably a longer answer than you needed for a short question, but. <laughs> no, nah, I think it was a great answer because, you know, it. 
I'm starting to hear like a common theme here, you know, and, and, and this is something that I hear from a lot of successful entrepreneurs, you know, that first, the first thing being, uh, it's along the lines of, of fearlessness, but you were, you were able to take a risk. Um, so you had this idea, you bought into the company and, and like you, you took that risk buying into what you believed in and, and buying into your goal, which I think is something that's extremely like commendable and respectable. Um, you know, because a lot of times like we can just get comfortable with what's going on or, or, or like the status quo. So to, to take that chance and the, the, like you said, be all in and to just go for it. I mean, that's something I personally like resonate with. So anytime I, you know, hear about someone doing something like that, that always motivates me and, and inspires me and, and makes me want to go take calculated risks. So that's something I really admire. And then the next thing being like, you know, your curiosity, like um, all successful people are, are curious. They're curious people. They want to know things. They want to learn more. They want to see how things work and like what's what. So, you know, you were able to, to, um, you know, uh, get your MBA because you felt like if I'm, if I'm going to be in this business, if I'm going to be in this field, then this would be, uh, this would better position me to be successful in what, in what I want to do. So I really commend, you know, the actions that you've taken and the steps that you've taken to get to where you are today. Well, thank you very much. I mean, I wish that I could, could honestly say that I, I thought it out as well as you said it, but, but, I'm really glad I did what I did because I also knew as I started to learn more about running our business that I was really interested in business as it turned out. I mean, the fact that I was an entrepreneur by accident um, didn't mean that once I learned more about it, I didn't want to do it. I wanted to do it that much more. And so after I did my MBA and started working on our business, I realized that really ultimately I was going to want to segue into doing consulting. Um, so we got to a point in our practice where we realized that I, I think one of the things that's that's interesting is as much as I was super excited about buying into our practice and it didn't matter what it was going to cost, when we started talking about our, you know, eventual exits, we were starting to realize that there were not a lot of people anymore, not a lot of um, younger veterinarians who were excited necessarily about buying into a practice like ours and also that could afford to because frankly they're coming out of school with this huge amount of student debt and so we had to start thinking differently about what that would look like so that sort of moved me into the next chapter of my entrepreneurial journey if you will when we at that point one of my partners had um, left on disability. Another partner had retired and was sort of working for us part-time periodically. And so there were two of us left and we, we were mulling over what our options were. And there was a group of practices that had already joined up together. Mm -hmm. And so they invited us to, you know, put our practice in with theirs. So we did that. And then I was super fortunate because I got the opportunity to work with some really smart people in that group to acquire more practices, to grow the group. And that was an amazing experience for me because a couple of things happened in all that. Number one, you know, I now had been a business buyer, right? A business owner. And then, you know, technically we'd sort of sold part of our business to this group. 
And then I was back on the buy side again, because I was helping look for practices to acquire, to bring in, you know, to expand. And it gave me this opportunity to talk to practice owners literally all over the world, like all over the world. And I realized that all, like all the people that I talked to had similar challenges and it was fascinating. It didn't matter what country you were in. It didn't matter how long you'd been in practice. Like the, the similarities were overwhelming. And so I, I got really excited about this idea of figuring out how to help people in the professional services industries have a better life. Like so many people were getting burned out they wanted to sell their business because they just couldn't do it anymore or because they were exhausted or because they were at an age where they thought it was time to retire, but no one wanted to buy their business. So there were all these commonalities across the board. And that's what got me thinking that, you know, when the, when the time was right, this is what I wanted to do. Absolutely. I mean, and, and that's like the, um, the main idea of like uh, being an entrepreneur is recognizing a issue or recognizing a large problem and then being able to provide a solution for that issue or for that problem, you know, and, and it sounds like, um, you know, through observation, through hard work and through, you know, execution, you've been able to help alleviate um, other business owners of, of dealing with these same or similar issues. Yeah. And that's, and that's what, that's what I really get excited about because I, feel like it's and and I have a, a special place in my heart for professional service providers I think because we get into it with a passion for helping people in some way shape or form I don't care if it's medicine or it's law or it's architecture or whatever. we're trying to make people's lives better in some way and so we get into it wanting to be in service the challenge is is that it's hard for us to find you know everybody's looking for that elusive work-life balance and, and really, I don't believe that there is balance per se. I believe that it's important to find something that you are good enough at and you enjoy doing enough and that is in alignment with your values that it you make it a part of the rest of your life. It's not like it's work or it's life. Because let's face it, if that was the case, then life should win out because there are a lot more aspects to your life, right? Absolutely. But I think it's... I think for me, what I get so excited about is that if I can help people either enjoy their business more or get out of their business, like have their business work for them in a way that supports what they want out of life, because most of them have spent their entire time trying to figure out how to make life better for other people. I'm not saying that everybody in, a, in the service industry is just a giver and, and that they don't take. But I do think that we have a certain mindset that lends itself to just putting our heads down, working harder, doing more. You know, it's almost like you get on that proverbial hamster wheel and you just, the solution is you don't have enough bandwidth to think about how you could do it differently. So you just put your head down and do more more of the same, more, more, more. If I make more money, then maybe I can fix, maybe I can pay to have that problem go away. You know, if I make more money, maybe I can hire another person. Well, you hire another person, that's got challenges too, right? <laughs> then you've got to manage them. So I think that, um, yeah, I think that's where I get really excited is when I can help other people. And that's why when our practice group was acquired by a bigger aggregator, once that sort of 
process had played out and our, you know, our people were settled, I decided that that was a great time for me to go out and do what I was really excited about now, which was helping other business owners. Absolutely. I mean, and I think this is such like an interesting perspective, especially for the pod, for this podcast, because um, it it can seem like it's geared towards, you know, starting a business or, you know, the beginning stages of uh, entrepreneurship and, and kind of motivating that. And, and the goal of it is to inspire people to start companies and and do what they love and figure out how to get paid for it but you know i've really talked to people or, or talked about um you know exit planning or or um what to do while you're in the business and if you're thinking about kind of moving away from it like what like what does that look like so i think this is a, a really interesting uh topic and perspective to like speak from but you know with that being said how would you define like exit planning what what does that mean that's a great question and so i will tell you that based on what you just said your audience is actually the perfect people to hear this message because to me um i think if you think of exit planning as really just business strategy that keeps the end in mind mm -hmm. i don't care if you even if you never want to exit your business, the, the steps that you go to to think about what it would look like and, and what would make a great business that was sellable are the same steps that will make your business better for you personally and better, better for your employees, better for the world. Because here's the thing, a business that you could sell is a business that you'd probably like to keep for longer. A business that you could sell is a business that is making money. It's profitable. It doesn't require you at the center of the business. And this is one that's really, now when you're starting up, of course, you're going to be at the center of the business. It's, it's almost unavoidable. But once you hit a certain critical mass, like if you want to keep growing, then one of the most important things you can do is figure out how to stop being the the monkey in the middle how to stop being the most important person in the room and it's not because you're not integral to your business but you can't be working on it if you're working in it all the time right mm -hmm. you need bandwidth you need energy you need time to think and none of that is possible if you're doing all of the things and wearing all the hats all the time so for me i the the, the exit piece of it is fun and interesting in its own right and i and i love that part of it too and it's one of the things that i loved when we were growing the practice group and i'll tell you the part that is really exciting for me to help people with like that's cool but the part that's really exciting for me to help people with is getting your business to a point where it is really working for you i don't care what your business is if your business works for you it's it's more fun um and most people get into business because they want something out of it. And I think the challenge is in the beginning, we know our why, right? In the beginning, you start a business in the beginning, you're like, I know why I'm doing this, right? Cause you don't go starting a business. If you don't know why you're doing, it. you don't do it just, I mean, most people don't do it just for the heck of it. Right? right. So, so in the beginning, you know, your why and what's challenging is over time, you're so busy doing the how, like you're so busy doing the thing that sometimes we lose track of the why. And I think it's that disconnect and that lack of alignment that is where things start to get 
not fun anymore. You know, you lose the joy. And so that's what I want. I want to see more entrepreneurs be able to hang on to the right. Don't get me wrong. It's still, it's a, it's tough. And there are days and sometimes weeks and months that are just hard. They're just hard. Um, so if you don't want to do hard things, then don't be an entrepreneur, but, but it doesn't mean that it has to be miserable all the time. You know, I, I hear people talking about, you know, you need to become more resilient. Well, I would argue that entrepreneurs by definition are resilient because you don't take that kind of a leap unless you're used to being knocked down and getting back up and dress, dusting yourself off and going again. To me, resilience is a reactive adaptation, right? Something happens, you get back up, you do it again. That's important, but I don't think that's the key to being a great entrepreneur. I think you have to have that. And then you have to learn that you can actually be proactive about your mental health. Because I'll tell you what, being an entrepreneur is not for the weak part. It is, it's a lot of work, right? Even if it, even if you do it really well, it's a lot of work. So I think there's something to be said for thinking about the, you know, we talk a lot about burnout across the board now, right? So when I think about burnout, I think one of the ways that we can mitigate and prevent burnout is by talking about um, mental fitness, you know, kind of like physical fitness, you can proactively work on your mental fitness. And there are lots of things that you can do. But if you get that part of your mind working better, and you have you have, you know, you have tactics, you have skills around dealing with all of that, you'll protect your ability to operate at a higher level, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, it's like a saying, what is it? It's hard to see the uh, forest because of the trees or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. It's hard to see the label when you're inside the jar. It's hard to see the forest for the trees, for sure. Yeah, ex exactly. And so, I mean, I agree 1000%. Being able to take a step back and to like analyze and look at your business from a different perspective um, can allow for it to thrive even more, or allow for it to be more successful and allow for um, entrepreneurs to make more of an impact on the world. Absolutely. And I think on a, on a small tactical side, one of the things I really encourage business owners to do is find an hour a week when you have like, and, and schedule it, put it on your calendar for when you have enough bandwidth, like don't do it for, you know, seven o'clock on a Friday night, unless that's your jam. And that's when you're really fired up. Find an hour in the week that you can commit to just think, set aside that time and have that just be your thinking time. Because to your point, we spend a lot of time as entrepreneurs just getting through it. And just having that hour a week and over time you'll you'll be able to find more of those hours to do things with but if you can commit to one hour a week and sometimes it helps if you uh, find an accountability partner have someone else agree they're going to do the same thing and you're going to hold each other accountable that helps but taking that hour just to think about what the possibilities are is game changing i had a mentor who challenged me to do that you know quite a few years ago and it changed my life like it literally changed how i thought about my business it changed the course of what i ended up doing because i just had the time and the bandwidth to think and you know just do high level thinking not solving problems just thinking about what are the possibilities just being sort of possibility focused Absolutely. No. And I think that's like a, a really timely message, like especially for me right now. So um, 
I'm taking I'm taking these these classes and and trying to be healthier and and move and work out. Yeah, uh, it's like hot hot Pilates and and things like that. But at the end of every class, you know, you're laying down and you're recovering or whatever, and um the instructor will read off what's going on for the month of july and so now we we just got in the in the august and they'll read off what's going on in the month of august and i was thinking about it like wow they always kind of have some event or something going on some sort of promotion like most large companies do they always have something going on but in order to do something like that you have to stop take the time out to actually plan it and think about the bigger picture and like okay where can i take the company how can i engage the people how can i interact with everyone who you know and it's just like it Absolutely. takes that thought like it takes it you have to step back and think i mean of course they have a team so they probably have a think tank but when you're like in the process of where when you're a solopreneur you're doing it all yeah. yourself at the time you need moments like that to uh, find a way to innovate, be innovative and and like stay current to what you're doing and not just so locked in on like, let me record a million episodes, yeah. a million podcast episodes. Like that's cool, but you have to take the time to find different ways to connect with your audience or your listeners or your um, clients or whatever the case may be. So first of all, kudos to you for, you know, doing the thing because so many people are not getting out there and moving and and it's hard because we live such a sedentary lifestyle now and that's a big piece of mental fitness is getting getting your physical activity and we know that moving matters right we're meant to mm -hmm. move and so and and i love the fact that there you were laying there recovering and you're thinking oh i could use this in my business this is a good this is you know, so so that's brilliant because to your point it's the curiosity You've got to have bandwidth for, for to be curious. You have to make space for that curiosity piece to be able to come out because otherwise you're just firefighting, you're worrying, you're doing all of that. I, I had a call earlier today with one of my clients and you know we're working on some future visioning and it's so hard for people to... Um, to stay in the future, like to just be... They're like, but, but we won't be able to do that because I'm like... No, that language has to stop because as soon as you say, but we have to do this first because and we'll get there, but you have to start. I really believe you have to start with the future vision mm -hmm. because then your brain starts trying to solve for that. Even when you're sleeping, it's starting to solve for that. So you have to hold on to that vision of what you want, you know, in the future so that you can start moving in that direction. And then of course I'm a big, I love strategy. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm a big planner. So I like to do like the three-year vision, the one-year vision, and then break it down into 90 day sprints because, you know, we can only handle so much at a time. So I like to break it down into bite-sized pieces. But at the end of the day, all that strategy doesn't do anything if you don't take action. Like you've got to take action, but it's a lot easier to take targeted and, and useful action if you've, taken a little bit of time to think about it and you've made a plan. So I love that you were thinking about that and you know, that was going on. I think that's super cool. Absolutely. No. And I think it's super cool that you just mentioned the like 90 day sprint um, idea or uh, no, because I, I, I'm a fan of that. Like I heard, I don't know where I heard this. I, it could have been TikTok. It could have been something, but well, it's probably before TikTok, but it was like, um, 
we have to kind of work or think like athletes train. So athletes will train uh, really, it'll be a really intense period of training and then they'll go accomplish the task or they'll play the game or do the sport, whatever it is. And then they'll take a break, rest, like reanalyze, think and yes. you know, look back at what they yeah. did. And now you you hop back into it. And when yeah. I heard that, that made a lot of sense to me. And I so I, you know, I like hearing that that 90 day sprint and this is what the pros are doing and this is what the like business uh, strategists are doing. So I think that's really cool too, like confirmation I, kind of thing. I love that. And I think the other thing that I would say that you basically alluded to is that at the end of the 90 days, you're going to reevaluate. Like some people don't ever do a long-term plan because they're like, oh, well, you can't, you can't tell what's going to happen that far. And of course you can't. It doesn't mean that you can't think about it. And it doesn't mean that you can't have a plan that as long as you revisit it. So your plan has to be agile. It has to be adaptable and you have to be prepared to go back to it and make adjustments. And you brought up something that you were like right on the edge of saying, I feel like, which is when you take that little break in there, when you, when you, you're going to do the analysis before you do any of that, celebrate your wins. I feel like as entrepreneurs, we are, and, and I'm a big offender. I'm terrible at it, but I'm really constantly working on it is celebrate your wins. I don't care if they're small, celebrate them because they're hard won. And I think we spend a lot of time focusing on what's, what still needs to happen and so there's so much that can happen for yourself and for your business as you start to grow, like help your employees celebrate their wins. And I'm not one, I'm not like that person that says everyone on the soccer field should have a medal. I'm not that person <laughs> um, to be clear, but I do believe that when you accomplish something, you should celebrate it. You should, you know, tell your brain that was a good thing. I'm really happy we got that done. And then you can move on to the next thing, but take that moment you know, and really make sure that you drill it in. Cause I think all of this stuff is getting processed by this machine that we don't even know half of how it works, but there's plenty of science behind, you know, making sure that you visualize things and making sure that you, your thoughts become what happens ultimately. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, a little bit earlier in our conversation, uh, you mentioned uh, speaking with a, or working with a mentor at some point in time, which is something I think that's like uh, vital, like like very important to run a successful business, to understand how to work with different people or, or to just get to where you're trying to go to accomplish a goal. Um, what role, what role or what benefits were you able to see and experience from like having a mentor and having someone that you can go to and ask questions to or or that possibly uh, already went through what you were trying to accomplish? Ooh, so I like to talk about having a personal board of directors. Mm. So I think that it's really important to surround yourself with people who have, to your point, already done things that you want to do and to have people who are outside of your experience so that you can get a different perspective because we have a tendency to surround ourselves sometimes either with people who are at the same stage as we are or sometimes a little bit behind us. Sometimes we don't feel like we can reach out to people that are that far ahead of us and expect them to give their time. Um, so that's one thing. I think it's really helpful to have 
a variety of people. And that's why I talk about a personal board of directors. So if you can find people in different aspects of life, and some of them will be related to business, some of them, you know, some of them could be on the personal side or on the spiritual side, if that's important to you and, and surround yourself with that, those people. I mean, that's changed my life. And that's why I'm, you know, I'm, I've always been a big proponent of, of helping other people who are, um, you, you know, just need a sounding board because I think it's, it's really important to give back in that way. And I know that most people, when they reach a certain stage of their life and career, you know, we get to the point where we're like, like you really want to give back and I get as much out of it as probably more sometimes than the, than the people I'm giving to. Cause the other thing is it gives me a different perspective on things. I hear what's going on out in the world. I get, you know, to kind of take the temperature in the room too. So that's one thing. The other thing I would say that I'm also very passionate about recommending to people is um, the idea that although we can't control all of the world around us, we can, to a very large extent, curate our inputs. So we can decide if and when we listen to the news and what do we listen to? We can decide if and when we're going to scroll social media or not. We can decide what kind of music we're going to listen to, what kind of podcasts we're going to listen to, what kind of television are we going to watch? So I, I think that it's easy for us to say that there's you know a lot of negativity around or whatever, but you can choose not to listen, even though it's everywhere, you can choose not to listen to it. And so I work very hard for myself. You know, I, I look at what kind of books I want to read. I look at, you know, what kind of podcasts I want to listen to. And it's amazing how that can change your perspective. I think that was a really great quote. And I actually just wrote it down. I thought it was a, a, a great way to express that we can curate our inputs you know like and it put it puts back our it puts accountability like back into the culture and society i feel like sometimes that in especially in this day and age it, it gets away from us but you're right you know we do have the ability to control what we listen to to control what, what we see what we're taking in throughout the day for the most part so yeah that does have a you know a huge impact, a huge impact on our perspective and how we view the world and how we see people and how we interact with people. I mean, even think about it. Like when, if you're into music, right? I love music. And you put some really good headphones on and you put on some music that you really like, like your workout's more fun, your day's better, right. cleaning the house doesn't seem so <laughs> right, bad, right? Right, right. So, so anything like that, that can change your mood, it's good for your mental fitness too, you know? So like there are lots of compounding positive effects of that. I do think that you're right. I think, you know, one of the challenges we have right now is there's a lot out there. It's like, it's like, we don't have control. You, you can't control what other people do, but you sure as heck can control what you do. And, and so that's one of those places where you really can exert control. And I'm a huge believer in owning it, right? Like you, the more that you believe that you can control and I'm not like control feet control but control your choices to me it's about making choices and we all have choices to make and the more you realize that sometimes your choices might suck right like like if I look at a at a certain at, at a certain option and you know I've got choice a b and c maybe a b and c all suck but I still get to make the choice right mm -hmm. I still get to choose and so I think there's some comfort and and um 
power that comes in being an owner of your choices rather than playing the victim and saying, well, I did, I couldn't do that. I didn't have a choice. You know, you pretty much almost always have a choice. Like I said, it might be a, it might not be the choice you want, but you pretty much always have a choice in, in most instances. So that that's, that's sort of like me, you know, beating my drum on. <laughs> so how do you define success at this point in your career? Oh, wow. That's, that's a, that's a great question. So for me at this point in my career, success for me is about, um, really running my business in a way that is in alignment with my values. I spent some time struggling with a disconnect between my values and, and how I was operating in the world from the perspective that my values had changed over time, which happens. Um, you know, when I didn't have kids working 24 seven and going all out all the time felt great. Um, I loved it. And then I didn't even realize because it sort of crept up on me. I took my kids to work. You know, I did, I only took three weeks for maternity leave when I had each of them. And, and at the time that all felt like the right thing to do, but to me, success now feels like being in, being in alignment. You know, we're talking a lot about mindset for me, it's about being in alignment. So I want to be sure that what I'm putting out there into the world and telling other people to do, I'm doing it for myself. And so I work very hard at um, trying to walk the talk. I mean, nobody's perfect, right? I, I have a lot of old habits that are easy to fall back into. Um, but I, I really want to show my kids that um, you can, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you can do it in a way that that really is enjoyable and fun and challenging and all the things and it can support you and so so for me that's sort of what success looks like to me now and most importantly i can do you know i'm, I'm very selective you know we we're talking about the owner mindset i now choose to only work with people who are going to own their thing you know like i don't mean own as in as in money own but they're owning their outcome I'm I'm not interested in people who are just going to play the blame game. So I'm very selective about working with people who really want to take ownership and want to do the the things that they need to do to um, get what they want. Right? I'm not I'm not carrying you through it. You know, I'm like I'm like the sort of you know tough love mom. You know, <laughs> I'll hold your hand, but you got to do the work. So absolutely no, and it has to be like a beautiful place to be at, like to be able to say. No, or or like to be able to say to be able to work with who you want to work with like yep. that, that's an incredible uh place to to reach in business like in anywhere because i mean that's a huge uh thing that people can struggle with in personal in their personal life being able to say no to certain things so being able to reach that um level in business i think is is one of the like ultimate signs of of success and you know um being comfortable with where you are and what you're doing. I mean, I just think, it, I, I think that's an incredible, incredible accomplishment for sure. Well, I, I really appreciate that. And I wasn't always there, you know, like I right. certainly spent years and years of my life where I, I felt like we had to work for anybody who would take us. And, mm. um, and it's an easy thing to fall back into it. You know, it kind of comes from, if you want to talk about mindset, sort of a scarcity mindset, right? It's like, well, exactly. where's my next meal going to come from? And exactly. and sometimes that's just the reality, and that and that's okay. 
Um, but that doesn't mean it has to be the reality forever. And, you know, it's like I said, it's, it's, it's about choices. You have to choose what's important to you. Some people, what's important to them is just making as much money as they possibly can. Regardless, they'll suck it up and do all the things I sucked it up for a long time. And, um, I've just gotten to the point where I've decided that it's more important to me, the quality of the relationships that I have within my business. And, and that's my prime directive when it comes to that. What is the most important reason for your success? Ooh, I would say that the, the most important reason is that, you know, I am really curious. I'm really curious, sometimes almost to a fault, you know, like the squirrel, you know, like the shiny thing over here. <laughs> but, but I think it's because I'm curious and I keep looking for better ways to do things, new ways to do things. And, um, and I'm not afraid to work hard, uh, you know, I, even though I say that, you know, I, I want to make sure that I'm being mindful about how I'm doing it. It doesn't mean I'm not working very hard. I work very hard. I, I actually am just a lot more efficient about it than I used to be. And a lot more mindful about where my energy goes. It's not just your time, right? It's also your energy. We all think that the big challenge is time, but really, it's really not just time. It's also energy. We've all got the same amount of time. It's how are you preserving your energy? Are you, you know, are you getting enough sleep? Are you timing things well? And and are you making the most use of your time? Absolutely. What does the future of productive pressure look like to you? Ooh. Um, well, ultimately, I'd like to keep it going for as long as I want to work, which is probably several more decades. Um, I'm I'm not a spring chicken. I'm in the next chapter of my life, if you will, by the by the way the world looks at things. But I love like I love doing what I do and who knows what will be next. Now, maybe 10 years from now, I'll say, you know what, I'm ready to do something different. I don't know. But right now. I want to continue to make it a sustainable venture so that I can keep doing it and keep living my life the way that I want to live it. I want to be able to do all the things that I didn't do um, because I thought I couldn't, because I made it so that I couldn't, if you will, because I'm going to own it. Um, that in in the last phase of my of my of my career and of my life. So there are lots of things that I want to get out there and do. Lots of people I'm excited to, you know, meet and collaborate with. And so for me, I I just I don't I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But as long as I can do things in a sustainable way, I you know, I'll be doing something forever. I'll drive every you know, I'll drive my husband crazy, I'll drive my kids crazy, you know. <laughs> they're leaving the house, but they're getting to the age where they're starting to leave, but um, yeah, I always, I, because I'm curious, I'm always going to be doing something like, I don't see myself retiring at a certain age. I don't see myself ever really retiring. I think I'm like a lot of entrepreneurs. It's like, I'm, I'm always going to be doing something. I don't know what it'll be, but it'll Absolutely. be something. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Don, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it getting a chance to pick your brain and, and, uh, you know, understand your perspectives. Cause I, I really believe that, you know, you share some very great information with the listeners and, you know, I've definitely learned a lot throughout this conversation. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Wesley. It was really, it was really a pleasure. I had so much fun. Great conversation. Absolutely.